Good morning. It's very nice to see all of you this morning. If you have your Bible, would you please join me in Acts chapter 20? As you're turning there, I do want to remind you that during second hour, it is the last adult Sunday school before our summer break. And one of our elders, Scott Porter, will be teaching on perseverance in the Christian life. And so I would encourage you to make time to to join that class during second hour. If you did not receive a Bible on the way in and would like to have one, we'd love for you to have one in your laps. Raise your hand high. We'll get one to you very soon. Please feel free to keep this Bible as a gift from our church to you. And when you get it, please join me in Acts chapter 20. Our passage this morning is verses 28 to 32. 28 to 32. We are in a series. We've taken a break from the Gospel of John. We're in a doctrinal series called Ecclesia. That's the Greek word for, for church. And we are lifting up from the pages of Scripture what the Bible says are the features of a faithful church. Over the weeks, we've seen that churches can exist on a spectrum of health, from very healthy to very sick, to the point at which Jesus even threatens to remove their lampstand, as he does in Revelation 2 and 3. And so, by God's grace, we as a people want to turn our attention with precision and wise application of those things that Jesus says by his Spirit, in his word, of what it means to be us. What does it mean to be a local church? And so we've been looking at a series of topics, and last time and this morning, last time was part one, this is part two, faithful elders. And Lord willing, next time we'll be looking at faithful deacons. And so last time together, we did a large pass through Acts 20, verses 17 to 32, and now we're narrowing in on verses 28 to 32 this morning. So that's where we're going. Let me set God's word before us, we'll pray we'll get to work in the sermon. The Apostle Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders. They are on the beach in Miletus. And Paul says, mid-conversation in verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. For I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert Remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Well, this is God's word. Let's look to him together in prayer. Father, these words through your apostle are both sobering and glorious. We thank you, Father, that you have in your eternal plan 
sent your son, Jesus Christ, to become incarnate and to live in our place, die on the cross for our sins and raise for our justification, not to send us away and out of your sight, but to draw us close, to make us the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the temple of God, indeed the church of God. But Lord, your text has warned us that there are perils and there are dangers, there are enemies without and even at times within wolves in sheep's clothing. You also tell us in your word, Lord Jesus, that you are the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Your word tells us in Ezekiel that there are bad and false shepherds. And so, Lord, we need your grace and the power of your spirit to understand, to believe and receive and apply your word of grace to our lives individually and corporately as a body so that we would have your mind on what what and why you have gifted faithful elders to faithful churches. So, Lord, would you help us this morning? Would you help us understand your word and rejoice at it? to guard it and to treasure it, and to let these words this morning continue to be a light to our feet and a lamp to our path. So to that end, Lord, would you let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Lord, our rock and our redeemer, and all of God's people said, Amen. Well, in the last 20 years or so of the church, Two things have transpired, many things have transpired, but one is there has been a tremendous blessing of God, some would even call it a revival, of faithful attention to what the Word teaches regarding the doctrines of grace and all doctrine, and especially the doctrine of the local church. So in a sense, there's been a revival of attention among believers to know what God says and apply it to our lives. We've seen much good unfold and grow as the next generation of pastors have risen up and faith, the previous generation of faithful pastors have passed the torches to men like myself. And at the same time, just as we've seen tremendous strides in growth and recovery of faithful doctrines in the church, much of the past 15 to 20 years has also been a conveyor belt of high-profile, cataclysmic falls of pastors. Many of them started out well, or at least on the surface, it looked like they started out well. For some, though, it was the limelight of fame. For some, it was sexual lust and adultery. Others, it was because of power and control, and still others, it was doctrinal downfall, changes in their understanding, tinkerings with and tamperings with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in all of these cases, all of these high profile and even the many low profile we don't even know about, in all of these cases, there was a wake of destruction behind these fallen men, their wives their children, and their churches. Now, some of these men remain genuine believers. But in their cases, they and others had stopped keeping watch on their souls a long time ago 
And these men were able to, left to their own devices, grow into their own sin. But in other cases, these men were wolves and false teachers. They were charlatans. They were, as Satan does, masquerading as an angel of light. These were wolves in sheep's clothing who came in, ultimately with the goal of destroying and devouring the church. So whether these men were genuine believers, trapped and growing in their own sin, or wolves, in every case, Christians were hurt and devastated. Churches were hurt and devastated. It's just a reality that is unavoidable and is a blemish on the gospel. So when we approach this topic of faithful elders in this series, and we ask the question, well, why are we talking about faithful elders? It's because... We saw this last time. The pattern of Scripture is simple. As the leaders go, so goes the church. All across the Old Testament, kings, prophets, priests, when they were faithless, the people inevitably were also faithless. God always preserved for himself a remnant across the Old Testament. But in the Bible, faithlessness is always tied to not caring, not regarding, or not obeying God's word on God's terms as God has set forth. So in short, the reason this topic is so important is as the pulpit goes, so goes the elders, so goes the church. And so part of the reason that we see many faithless and unfaithful churches is because they have faithless and unfaithful pastors, faithless and unfaithful pulpits. Indeed, as I mentioned earlier, in Jesus' seven letters to the the seven churches in the book of Revelation 2 and 3, the letters are addressed to the church, but also to, arguably, the pastors of the churches, the pulpiteers of those churches. And those churches had sin that they were entertaining, and that if they did not repent, Jesus was going to remove their lampstand. So that is all serious and sobering. That's that's why this topic matters. But this is not a a, a guild conversation, a seminary conversation, an ivory tower conversation. This is a conversation that here in Acts 20, while Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders on the beach in Miletus, he is nonetheless saying these words so that all the believers know, all the believers hear and know what they are to expect and pray for regarding faithful pastors. So our aim in this portion of the series is not to say all there is to say, because there's a lot to say about elders or deacons, but rather this time and next, as we look at elders and deacons, how do elders and deacons contribute to and guard and uphold faithfulness in local churches? And faithfulness being attentive to what Jesus says in his word and putting into practice. So if you're taking notes this morning, the outline comes in four parts. Here they are as we walk through these verses this morning. Number one, faithful pastor elders pay careful attention and pastor the flock. That's verse 28. And the majority of our time, by the way, will be in verse 28. And from there we'll move into point number two. Faithful pastor elders guard the flock from wolves. And that's verses 29 and 30. And then point number three, faithful pastor elders ultimately entrust the church to the word of God's grace. 
That's verses 31 and 32. And then we will close briefly with five ways to respond to God's word this morning. Well, let's jump right in. Point number one, faithful pastor elders pay careful attention and pastor the flock. Look again at verse 28 as we jump into this first and longest point. After having been autobiographical, Paul now turns to admonish and to teach and instruct these elders. And he says in verse 28, pay careful attention. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. We're going to pick apart this verse in three parts. First, notice the command to the pastor elders in these opening salvo of words. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. So the first ingredient to faithful pastor elder overseers in the local church are pastor elders who are characterized by paying careful attention. Now, recalling from last time, as we looked at the whole entire passage, and as I read a few moments ago, the, the context of Paul's words here to these Ephesian elders is, is the context of the impending arrival of wolves Within the church at Ephesus. So these words in verse 28 are connected to the following verses of the arrival of wolves. So so paying attention is focused on guarding the church against the work of wolves. And the work of wolves are the words of wolves. And the words of wolves are false teaching and gospel twisting. Paying attention is focused on guarding the people of the church, the members of the church, against the seductions and deceptions of false teaching and the divisive and destructive effects of false teaching. And so what Jesus does, because he loves his church, places in his church faithful pastors who pay careful attention. They are on guard. We are to... Keep watch. Some translations say, take heed and pay careful attention. To what? Everyone's hearts. That's what we watch. Now, to be clear, Scripture indicates that in a local church, all Christians bear responsibility for one another. To be a Christian comes with a job description. That job description is not just Matthew 28 to go and make converts. Matthew 28 is to make disciples. And that's a job description for all believers. All believers in local churches bear responsibility to guard one another, to watch over one another's lives, to care for one another. And yet in Acts 20, faithful elders bear a unique responsibility to watch over a church that's watching over itself. So the plurality of elders... Here in Paul's words is a plurality of vigilance. Our task is to be watchful over you. 
like watchmen in the fire tower, guards in the citadel, hunters in the blind, snipers on the hill, doctors over their patients, fathers with their children, mothers holding their babies, friends with fellow friends, pastors are to keep watch, to be vigilant. Our watch is unique because it's a watch over the gospel and its growth in your lives. I think of Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the wellsprings of life. Jesus places in his church elders with a job description to pay careful attention to, know what it says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Faithful elders pay careful attention to their own hearts. I am and Scott and Bo and Andy, your pastor elders, are to keep watch on our own hearts with all vigilance, but also... The pastor elders are to keep watch on the fellow elders. Paul says, keep watch on yourselves in the plural. He's speaking to the Ephesian pastor elders. And it says, to all the flock. Not some of the flock. Not some sheep. Not the easy sheep. But all the sheep. All the flock. And elders' ears are to be attuned to hearing your heart on display in your words, and our ears and our eyes are to be attuned to seeing your heart on display in the way that you order your life. And it's all about guarding the gospel from which all other doctrine connects and flows. As I mentioned, the last 10 years alone is an exhibition of high-profile pastors who did not keep watch over their own hearts and pay attention to their own lives and around them elder teams who did not watch over those pastor elders but helped lead them in their fall by letting them do what was right in their own eyes. Now to be sure, some of these pastor elders were adept at hiding their sin and keeping it hidden and so the the elders around them were faithful men who had no idea But in many of the really public stories, the elders just helped the preaching pastors in their sin. And so elders and elder teams did not keep watch on themselves. They did not keep watch on their churches. And so they blew up their lives and they blew up their churches. So this is a specific watch vigilant against wolves. Seducing any of our hearts away from the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Through empty philosophies, plausible arguments, the pay careful attention that Paul admonishes is a watch to make sure that wolves are not arising from the elders, even that an old man himself will guard his own heart and doctrine on the gospel so that he doesn't become a wolf, as it were, and to guard against wolves coming in. The pastors are to to watch, to pay attention. So I see something that is very unique. I wonder what Paul in Acts 20 would have said to the elders today in 2022, given our social media environment. Something that I've spoken on recently as we looked at the the primacy of preaching. 
But friends, I want you to be on guard about the self-watch that the elders have over the church, the mutual watch we have over one another, and your own self-watch over yourself when Pastor Google and Elder YouTube and Overseer Podcast become your main go-tos, a second elder board that you go to first for your information, Pastor Google, Elder YouTube, and Overseer Podcast, when they became, become your first elders and preachers and your main go-tos, rather than your actual pastor elders who you've affirmed to be in the position, you're opening the gate of your heart to wolves. Now, don't mishear me. There are many good and godly um, pastors we would encourage you to listen to online, but they are not your pastors. They're not setting the doctrinal parameters of our church family, what we've covenanted together around to know and follow Jesus in. So there are good men to listen to, but friends, there are increasingly many, many, many more you should not listen to. And here's the thing about Satan. He's deceptive. He masquerades as an angel of light. So what are Satan's tactics? The devil's going to tell you 99 truths to tell you one lie. And then 98 truths to tell you two lies and so on. The devil is a master at using the Bible to tell lies and deceive. So the point is when we and when you go into the digital wilderness and are listening to different voices. Because Satan masquerades as an angel of light, it's going to sound good, feel good, play on your emotions, slick production, and all of those things. And it may be far down the road you get before you realize that this is a wolf who is diluting, distorting, and detracting from the simplicity of Christ and Him crucified. Jesus' death for our sins on the cross. Jesus as the God-man incarnate. Truly God, truly man. One triune God and more. And so we must pay attention. And so when I wonder what Paul would say to these elders about paying careful attention to the flock, it's, it's exasperating to know what to do today with our, all of our online digital lives. Not knowing how many hours were spent among all the faces of our flock out and listening and then maybe being influenced by licentiousness and lies and more. Remember Satan's fundamental tactic, did God really say? And he's so subtle that the subtlety is to change doctrine just enough that you get off a little bit off course so that's not until you're way down the trail that you realize how far off course you have come. So what I see then is how much more today must our own personal watch, our corporate self-watch, and the watch of the elders be vigilant over who and what we're listening to and the de facto faux elder boards we erect for ourselves based on our playlists. So how do your elders pay careful attention? What do we have in place Well, right now, we have a network of relationships and prayer. In our church family, it begins by the elders watching over one another. 
It's interesting, one of the commentators I was reading in preparation this week was noting how when, when, when the, Paul's about to tell them wolves are going to arise from their own midst. And he tells them, pay careful attention to yourselves. And in today's day and age, that means that even an elder, beginning with myself, the books that I'm reading and the scholars that I'm listening to and the research that I'm doing or not doing, all of those things are going to impact me and that I have to pay attention to the sources I am reading and how they're affecting me so that when I stand up to open God's word and say what God says, I don't twist his word. That's part of the vigilance. So it begins with elders watching over elders. This is why, so how do we do this? Nearly every single week, the first hour or so of our elder meetings is my brothers and I spending time simply opening our hearts and lives to one another, talking about our hardships, our discouragements, family updates, marriages, our children, our interpersonal relationships with each other, our temptations, sins, our encouragements, evidences of grace, our walk with Jesus, and more. We open our lives intentionally to the searching, loving, gracious inspection of each other, and then we just pray for each other together. Every week, for an over an hour, that's what we do. Why? In part because as the elders go, so goes the church. If we as elders don't cultivate and guard a gospel grace culture, then it will not permeate into our church family. Here's what we also do. Twice a month, the elders slowly work through our church membership directory. As of our May meeting, our church family has grown to 185 covenant members. Plus... The 65 children still among us in these families. Some have gone off to college. That's 250 souls between currently four elders. That's not enough men. It currently takes about a year to work through the directory. I wish it was faster, but we are moving at what we think is an appropriate pace. What does it look like? We assign names, and then over the next two weeks, we're praying for you. We reach out to you. And we have a conversation with you, either face-to-face, on the phone. Some of you like texting more. Some of you Facebook, or not Facebook, um, email, different things. We connect with you to hear, how are you doing? How's Jesus in your life? What are some things that we can thank God for that you're praising the Lord for in your life right now? What are challenges that you're facing that we can, uh, petitions we can bring before the Lord on your behalf? And then at the elder meeting, after we've prayed for each other for an hour, we spend the next hour to 90 minutes talking about you. Talking about, yeah, I spoke with so-and-so this week. And she's just so excited. The Lord is pouring out his grace on her life in this way. So praise God for his work. These are some concerns she has, and we want to pray for her. The, here's a family who's, who's burdened by the rebellion of a certain child, and we're praying for their salvation. And all manner of things, we put you before each other as we, as we look at your pictures. Some of you don't have your pictures in the directory. We need your pictures. So we look at you, and we, we pray for you to... to to care for you and, and, and to know we keep watch. We try to attune our ears to what's going on in our lives because we love you. We love you. 
you have covenanted together, together with us. You, you've had your faith evaluated, right? Matthew 16, you've been, we know your profession of faith and your baptism. You've covenanted together to agree on the same doctrines, our constitution, which is our doctrines and practices. You've pre-agreed that we are going to walk together following Christ in this way, and we pray for you. We pray for you. By God's grace, as we add more elders alongside more new members, we'll be moving through the directory more than twice a year. Our home fellowships are also a significant relational way that we keep watch over the church. We don't do home fellowships just because other churches do them or as a strategy to accomplish some task. It's for shepherding. It's to get us together in small groups and to follow Jesus together, to have word-based fellowship and to, to um, pray for each other and to confess sins to one another and to help one another know and follow Jesus. And the home fellowships are a significant way that we keep watch over the church as you spend time together weekly on a more intimate basis, doing life together, watching over each other, and when needs arise beyond what the group can uh, care for, it comes to the elders, and by God's grace, we, we help. It's, it's another way that we are trying to be faithful to Acts 20 and keep watch. We keep watch for the informal conversations we have with many of you on Sunday, in texts, calls, emails, running into you at Home Depot, all throughout the week. It's just the connections that we have where we're trying to listen and discern how Jesus is in your life and is the gospel guarded in your heart. It's also through the wonderful ministry leaders and deacons that help so faithfully in this church that also help the elders keep watch as they also are keeping watch over your souls for their various ministries. And we keep watch because it's also a two-way street, meaning many of you take the initiative to reach out to the elders for yourself or on behalf of others. We're so grateful that you do that, that when needs are known, many of you are so good at our home fellowships, our amazing portraits of Christians being Christians, when needs arise and caring for each other, whether it could be all manner of things, and sometimes those needs exceed what the group can do, and it comes up to the elders. We're so thankful that many of you reach out to us when there's needs, when there's praises and blessings. Thank you for that. It's another way that we keep watch. And so the admonition in Acts 20 is that faithful pastor elders, and we'll see once we get to the one another's later in this series, faithful churches, we watch over one another. We are responsible for each other. We love each other and care for each other. And that's not just a platitude that floats in the wind. It is gospel guarding. Gospel doctrine, faithful to Jesus and guarding what Jesus did in his life, death and resurrection on our behalf and how that gospel permeates all other doctrines, not just what we think, but say and do and how we live and order our lives. We watch. Second, in this text, I told you it was the longest point. Second, faithful pastor elders not only pay careful attention, but look at what this says next. To care for the church of God. Now, to care for the church of God, I think the ESV, which most of us have here, is a huge miss. It's a huge miss. I am very frustrated with the translators of Acts. I don't know how this slipped through. Here's what I mean. 
care for in the Greek is literally the word pastor or shepherd, which nearly every other English translation rightly brings forward from the Greek. So you can you can miss this in translation. Paul is literally telling them after pay careful attention. He says the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to what to pastor the church of God. So what do faithful elders do? They pay careful attention and faithful pastor, elder, overseers, pastor, they shepherd. But what does that mean? And this is important. The, when you say shepherd or when you say pastor, so often um, we fill that word in with our own definitions and our own job descriptions. Uh, sometimes it's a really impactful pastor from your early in your life, decades ago, and he set the standard, and now you measure every single other pastor elder by how he interacted with you. Or it's, it's well, it says shepherd, and I think shepherding should look like this, and so you make a job description in your mind, and then you hold all the pastors accountable for it. We need Jesus' definition of what pastors are to do. And to hold them accountable for what Jesus expects pastors to do. What does it mean to pastor? Well, we've already seen the first part. It is paying careful attention to all the flock. But now, if we look at Acts 20 and we think about last week, I just have to summarize. The definition of pastoring is preaching, teaching, and applying all of Christ from all of Scripture. Being a model of Christ-like character while guarding against wolves. That's the best I could do to summarize verses 17 down to verse 38. To pastor is that you expect from your elders that they're going to preach the word to you, teach the word to you, help you apply the gospel of grace to your life, and that they're going to give you all of Jesus from all of the Bible. That the pastors are going to have character that's Christ-like and also guarding against wolves. So when Paul says, pastor the church of God, shepherd the church of God, he is telling them to teach. And I get that. If you want to go back up and and later this afternoon read through Acts 20, simply note all the times that Paul references his character on display and his words heard. He talks about Christ-likeness and preaching Christ, and that's it. So if paying careful attention is the vigilant guard against feeding on false doctrine, pastoring the church is the proactive side of equipping the saints for the work of ministry. It's properly feeding the sheep the word of Christ. In other words, in the Bible, pastoring and Bible teaching are inseparable. Every time an elder has opened up the Bible, said what God said, Turn the page and said what, saw, said what God said again, you were being pastored. Every time you sought counsel from an elder and he spoke scripture to you, you were being pastored. When your elders pray over you in private, personally and corporately, when we pray at 8 a.m. in my office before church starts, you don't even know it, you're being pastored because we're asking the Lord to do for you what only the Lord can do for you. And I say this, defining what pastoring is and the inseparability of pastoring and Bible teaching, because in our therapeutic culture, pastoring is reduced to being a personal psychologist that doesn't confront your sin. 
That's false. If you want to know what God's word says about Christ and help applying it to your life, you come to a pastor elder. Our task is to correct, to encourage, to urge, to admonish, to rebuke, to weep, to bear burdens, and more. So if you want to understand and apply the Bible and be on guard against wolves, go to one of your elders. And that's going to give joy to your elders. Part of the gifting that the Spirit has given us is wanting to talk to you about Jesus and His Word and apply it to your lives. And it's such a joy that throughout the week, texts, emails, conversations, phone calls come in of, hey, I was reading this book, or I heard this thing, or I read this article, and it sounds kind of off, but I don't know, can you help me understand it? What a joy of humility and corporateness together to understand God's mind on all manner of things. And finally, in verse 28, notice the reason and motivation for the ministry of faithful elders. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. Here it is, which he obtained with his own blood. Why do faithful shepherds matter? Because Jesus' blood matters. Why do faithful shepherds matter? Because faithful sheep matter. Why does all of this matter of being a faithful church? Because Jesus bought us with his own precious blood. We are blood-bought sheep. There is no greater purpose for shepherds to be faithful than the life-altering cosmic reality that God the Son incarnate, Jesus Christ, gave His life to rescue you and me from the clutches of Satan, the mouths of wolves, from Satan's sin and death, God's own wrath against us, to adopt us into the Father's family and make us His own. That's good news. And Jesus has purchased us to make us his own. Jesus is the good shepherd. He is the one who has laid down his life. He is the chief shepherd. He is the faithful shepherd. He is the true elder. And so Jesus continues his flock guarding, church loving through under shepherds. That's why it's such a serious task. That's why Hebrews 13, 17 says... That we elders are going to give an account to Christ for our shepherding of the church. That's why James says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you will incur stricter judgment. How we handle Christ's word matters. There's no greater purpose for shepherds to be found faithful, diligent, and attentive to God's word, pleading on our knees for Jesus to do for us and change us by his spirit to be more like him than the fact that Jesus loves you so much that he spilt his blood and died to give you life. You don't belong to me. I don't belong to me. We belong to Jesus. We do belong to one another. We are body parts of Christ. He's the head. 
But we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. The good shepherd has laid down his life on the cross. That's why this matters. Our sins have been atoned for and removed as far as the east from the west. That's why this matters. So that he, Jesus, might give us his righteous life in giving up his life for us by grace through faith. Faithful shepherds preach and teach this gospel doctrine from all the Bible and are vigilant to keep you reminded that this is the truth that has brought us from death to life. When you renounced your sins, repented of them, and turned to Jesus. Bad shepherds don't care about this. The bad shepherds of Ezekiel 34 reveals that bad shepherds hurt the flock. Eat the flock, give the flock over to wild beasts, and ultimately scatter the sheep. Bad shepherds don't care the church is filled with blood-bought saints. But it's this reality that shows the inestimable value of each and every sheep. God himself clothed himself in human flesh, the second person of the Trinity, to live, die, and rise, not for ideas, Not for possibilities, but for each of you, by name. That's how precious you are in the sight of Christ. So that's how serious this task is. This task is not entertainment. This is us as the body of Christ gathering together to be reminded of Jesus and all that he says across all his word about all of life because this book is the true story of the world. And so we gather together to keep each other in the grace of Christ and to help one another know and follow Jesus Christ. And notice here in this verse, in verse 28, the explicit reference to Jesus as God. Often in the New Testament, God can be the general reference to the Trinity. More often, it's a specific reference to the first person of the Trinity, namely the Father. But here, it's the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. The Father did not die on the cross. That is a heresy. The second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, died on the cross. He obtained us, and Jesus is God. God the Son incarnate. And if God the Son did this for us to make His His own, then how precious are the saints, how important it is to pay careful attention to all the flock and to shepherd the sheep, preaching the word, giving the good shepherds good words to guard against the false words of wolves. Pastor's pastor, because Jesus purchased us with His blood and resurrection from the grave. Which leads to point number two. Faithful pastor elders guard the flock from wolves. Verses 29 and 30, moving quickly. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. First, what are wolves? Maybe you've never heard that in the Bible before. Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, verses 15 to 20, Jesus is preaching and he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? Nope. 
Are figs from thistles? No. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Wolves are false prophets. Wolves in the Bible contrast sheep. Wolves are deceivers and false teachers. Like their father, the devil, they seek to distort God's word, detract from God's word, deny God's word. Wolves are likely, listen, wolves are likely false converts. The question is, do wolves know that they're wolves? I think in most cases, no, they don't, which is scary. In some cases they do, and there is a sinister plot to go in and infiltrate and to destroy the church. But oftentimes, their self-deception blinds them to themselves, and they think they're doing the Lord's work when they're actually following Satan. And that's why Jesus speaks of knowing them by their fruit. Verses 29 and 30 here in Acts 20 highlights two places wolves come from and two things wolves do. Verse 29 paints the picture of wolves sneaking in, since after all, they look like sheep. They sneak in, and they look like sheep at first. And verse 30 soberingly indicates that even from among the plurality of elders, wolves will arise. And this makes sense since Jesus said in Matthew 26, strike the shepherd, scatter the sheep. And these wolves have two tactics. They speak twisted words and they draw disciples after them. Twisted words, as we've been talking about, are sinister words. Slowly changing the gospel, recalibrating it either taking away from it or adding to it, as Pastor Andy preached last week. Wolves are also divisive. Verse 30 says that their intent is to draw away the disciples after themselves. Wolves set brothers and sisters against one another to bite and devour one another. Wolves throw the teaching of the other elders into question and sow confusion and discord At every turn, wolves seek to undermine the blood-bought unity of the church. And at every turn, wolves seek to undermine the blood-proclaiming gospel of the church by establishing their own teaching and stealing followers for themselves. There's a sobriety. This means that we as believers must become gospel experts and not lazily in our doctrine. Peter concludes one of his books by saying, grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's a command. Some of you are experts at hunting. Some of you are experts at baseball or sports or knitting or quilting or whatever you're an expert at. But the Bible, just not so much. But like the airborne going behind enemy lines in World War II, we need to study the map so well that when we uh, lose the map and land behind enemy lines, we have it memorized on our souls. We must know Christ and Him crucified from all the Bible and until He brings us home, ever be growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Which leads us then to the third and final point. As we work against wolves. Point number three. Well it's not the final point. There's application coming. 
faithful pastor elders ultimately entrust the church to the word of God's grace. Verse 28, Paul gives the admonitions. Pay careful attention, pastor the church. Then we just saw that wolves are coming from without, wolves are coming within. They're going to twist words and they're going to seek to draw. They're going to attempt to draw. They're going to try to draw the disciples after them. And so what does Paul say? Faithful pastor elders ultimately entrust the church to the word of God's grace. Look at verses 31 and 32. Paul says, in conclusion, he says, Therefore, because you pay attention, because you pastor, because wolves are coming, therefore, be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. And now, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul returns to where he began with these elders. He began by saying, pay careful attention. And once again, now he says, be alert. He doesn't say, be suspicious, unloving, or distrusting, especially of fellow elders. Paul's aim is to create unity here, not sabotage it. Mutual self-watch involves keeping each other's doctrine and biblical understanding in check, especially the gospel. And so Paul reminds them of what he did so that they can do the same. He says to them, remember that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. Verse 21 tells us that his admonishing with tears for three years. Verse 21 tells us that it involved preaching repentance towards God and faith in Jesus. Verses 24 and 25 tell us that this admonition for three years was testifying to the gospel of grace of God and proclaiming the kingdom. Verse 27 tells us that this admonishing for three years is where Paul did not shrink from declaring the whole counsel of God. So rather than creating anxiety, because Paul knows that this could certainly be anxiety-inducing, Paul shifts their focus of these elders and the suspicion of wolves. Paul turns them back to focusing on this, preaching and teaching all of Christ, all of the gospel from all of the Bible. And that was the means by which they paid attention and shepherded the church and protected the church against wolves. When you know the truth so well as a church, when the false teaching comes in, you can spot it right away. And the reason then, as he says, that scripture, as, scripture is the means by which they pastor the church. And that's because the focus and power of Scripture is Jesus Christ. When our eyes are fixed together on Jesus, our hearts are humble, and we watch over one another. When the elders guard every teaching ministry and book study of the church, and the church welcomes that. When the elders are diligent in member interviews and who serves in the church, our fences remain strong, but the focus is on Christ. Because at the end of the day, like Paul, faithful elders and faithful churches know at the end of the day, it all comes down to the gospel of grace. The wonderful, 
undeserving, blood-given grace of Jesus Christ. Listen to Paul's final words. He paints this bleak picture, anxiety-inducing picture. He charges the elders to work hard and protect the flock. But this is what he says at the end of the day. At the end of the day, it really doesn't depend upon Paul. At the end of the day, it doesn't really depend upon the elders. At the end of the day, it doesn't really depend upon even the church. Verse 32 says, Now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Any sane elder would hear these words in Acts 20 and head for the hills. Who wants this job description? Wolves are going to come from among us and and, and I have to guard my own heart and be responsible for these souls and more. But the task, the task church, the task when the elders watch over you and later when we see the word-based one another ministry that we all share in your marriages, in your parenting, in your friendships, in your one anothering, at the end of the day, verse 32 is a banner that flies over the Christian life. At the end of the day, we are commended to God and the word of His grace. Why? Because God and His word are able to build you up. It's His word that does the work. It's the Spirit of God working with the word of God and a child of God to grow up the church of God to glorify God. That's why faithful elders are merely dispensers of the gems and jewels of the word of grace. It's not us. It's not our word. It's not our opinions and perspectives. It's Christ and him crucified. The word of Christ from all the word. And that's what builds us up. The spirit of God takes the truths, even truths of faithful elders, and strengthens and fortifies his church. What that means is that we can sleep at night. What that means is that, yes, we pay attention. Yes, we preach and teach. Yes, we shepherd. Yes, we watch over each other. But at the end of the day, we sleep because it's God's word that builds us. Not the ingenuity, creativity of any man or woman. So faithful elders preach and faithful churches want faithful elders. And they install faithful elders to be faithful preachers and teachers of these words That's what faithful churches and faithful elders do. Five ways to respond. Number one. Are we, are you going to help this church continue to be faithful, clinging to Jesus because it's all of our responsibility or not? Pray for your pastor elders that we would increasingly be As men in the middle of our own sanctification, these very words that Paul speaks of in Acts 20. Pray for your pastor elders to remain and grow further into faithful men. And prayerfully expect from us, pray for us, to be and do these things for our church family. Only install, only vote for qualified men. So please know the qualifications. So number one, pray for us. Number two, here's how you can respond. Help us keep watch over you by opening your life to us and one another and being proactive to approach the elders and others as needed. 
one of the sure signs of someone getting captured by sin or drawn away is withdrawal. And they stop being at church. They stop going to home fellowship. They slip away because they are entertaining sin or being seduced by Satan. So we must watch over each other. And so help us by approaching your elders. Number three, church, be hungry and attentive to the preaching and teaching of the word of Christ. Simply put, when the Bible's taught, show up. Thank you. It is for the good of your own soul and the souls of others. Women's ministry is not arbitrary. Men's ministry is not arbitrary. Sunday mornings is not arbitrary. Adult Sunday school is not arbitrary. Wednesday nights, teaching instruments in the hands of the Redeemer and text and canon are not arbitrary. All of things, all of these are deliberate teaching decisions by the pastor elders to make decisions that are going to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to be like coaches training you Olympic athletes. Our task is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, which is speaking the truth of the word of God and love to one another. So when the Bible's taught, make it a priority and show up. Part of the fruit of self-discipline in your life is disciplining yourself to do what you don't feel like doing. Oh, I don't feel like going to church on Wednesday night. Discipline yourself. Number four, be on guard against strange teachings, especially in your digital life. Please make it hard for wolves to get at you. It's called discernment, biblical discernment. Again, knowing the Bible so well that you can spot the lie. Be on guard against strange teachings. And lastly, the last way that we should respond as we think about why Jesus wants faithful churches to have faithful elders and the preaching and guarding ministry of of the flock is this. At the end of the day, the fifth way to respond is Rest in God and rest in the word of his grace so that he might build you up in Jesus. All of those ways to respond are interconnected. It's prayer. It's drawing close to each other and it's talking to each other. That's there's nothing complex of ways to respond that I gave you. It's simply Christians being Christians. It's showing up. It's being together and it's guarding each other. And at the end of the day, it's resting in the gospel of Jesus Christ, knowing that his spirit uses his word to build us and keep us. And so, friend, if if you're here and maybe perhaps you're a believer and you've been introduced to new teachings or there's just questions you have. Don't be shy or alarmed to ask a friend or come to an elder to ask about those teachings and to look and then we will help walk you through the word and investigate what those words are together in the Bible. But maybe you've come here this morning and you just you you're considering Christ, but you don't yet know him. You have not yet repented of your sins, renounced your old way of life and are following Jesus. Friend, Jesus is calling to you from his word right now. He wants to rescue you from God's wrath, 
rescue you from wolves, rescue you from the devil, and that requires you to believe his gospel, to turn from your sins and believe. To, to say to him, Lord, I am yours, save me. To believe that Jesus lived in your, your place sinlessly, died on the cross with your sin and rose from the grave. And when you believe that, you will be saved. You will be saved and become a blood-bought saint brought into the fold of God. If you're considering Christ, talk with someone you came with this morning. Talk with one of the elders. Talk with someone near you. We'd be happy to tell you more about Jesus. Amen. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for the gift of the church. We thank you for the gift of elders. Lord, we pray now that we would be moved by your grace and the word of your power to sing your praises, to commune with you and one another as we marvel that you have called us to be on guard, to watch over each other, and yet rest in the word of your power. So Lord, let us do that now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, let's stand together to sing this song. And then Pastor Annie will come up to lead us to the Lord's table in a few moments. Lose all their guilty stains Lose all their guilty stains And sinners plunge beneath 